Good. Let's read together uh, the Bible. Uh, The Bible verses are on the back of your white sheet. And we're picking up uh, our study through Jonah. Um, If you are jumping into Foundation Church for the first time today, uh, we're going through the story of Jonah, which you may have heard about, maybe growing up as a kid, going to Sunday school or something like that. Um, It's the one where the guy gets chucked into the water and swallowed by a fish. Uh, You may have heard the story. If you haven't, that's okay. Uh, We'll be reviewing it a little bit in a few moments. Uh, Let's read together from Jonah chapter 3 on the back of your sheets. This is God's word. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and and, and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. This is God's word. Let's look at these verses together. Uh, Jonah chapter 3. And, and the series uh, that we've been going through, as you can see on the screen, is titled Running from Mercy. And that's what Jonah's been doing. We've, we've seen that over the last couple of weeks. And if, if you missed out on any of the talks, you can, you can go online and listen again if, if you want just to catch up. But Running from Mercy, the whole series, I suppose, the whole book, um, is built on this conviction uh, from the Bible that, that there is a power available to each of us, for real and substantial change in your life from anyone who's running away from God. Um, I, I think there are, there are many uh, options available to us today as modern people. It comes at us in, in, in many ways, either through social media or through uh, you know, the, the local area, whatever it happens to be. Many options out there that promise a changed life. Right? Start this diet and you will be a changed person. Um, start this new exercise regime or sign up with this gym and, and, and you'll not know yourself. Give it six months and you'll have the beach body you've always dreamt of. Um, as you can tell, I do not go to the gym. Um, uh, whether it's a new philosophy, a new way of thinking, uh, again, promises uh, a, new, a new life often. And maybe a new pastime, uh, something you've just engaged with, you've never done before. Again, if I just get into this thing here and if I do this particular practice, then I can be a changed person, more chilled out. But what I'm here to say, and I suppose this is the headline uh, this morning, is that as helpful as those things might be in the short term, none of them are able to produce a change that lasts, a change that is deep and irreversible, and not only lifelong, but actually, I would argue, carries on to the next life as well. So diet or exercise regime or thought process or pastimes are all good, but in the Christian faith, Change is not only possible, 
It is expected. It is normal for every believer to experience this real and lasting improvement and substantial change of life. And so this sermon is going to show how that happens. And, and it happens through this idea, this topic called repentance. Repentance. So we're going to look at this idea of repentance and we're going to use the story of, of Jonah chapter 3 to, to help us. So, so when, we, when, we, when we think through these verses, uh, we're going to be asking ourselves, first of all, repentance, what is it? Number one. Number two, what does it look like? Just so we know we're talking about the same thing. And number three, how does it work? You know, what difference does it make in our lives? All right, what is it? What does it look like and how does it work? Firstly, what is repentance? And back to square one um, in, in our story through the book of Jonah, our studies, um, we see this individual, this prophet of God. He's a prophet uh, from Israel. He was called by God to go and bring this message of God's justice and God's mercy, not to the people of Israel, but to another nation, uh, northeast, I suppose, the great nation of Assyria, particularly the city of Nineveh. And so he was told to go off and do this. What he did was the opposite. He ran away, ran away from mercy, uh, ran away from God, tried to escape him. That was foolish. You can't do that. But he tried it anyway. Um, he got on the boat, as you may know from the story. He was thrown overboard because the storm uh, was all his fault. It was all because of him. And he was swallowed by this great fish. And as we saw last week, he spent three days and three nights in the belly of this fish, coming to his senses, coming back to God, realizing he's messed up and that God reached down and saved him. And it says at the end of uh, chapter 2, we saw this last week, the fish was instructed by God, it's lovely, to vomit him back out onto dry land. And that's exactly where we find uh, Jonah this morning. So what is repentance? Um, let's look at the verses in, 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 in our section today. Uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Didn't listen the first time. The second time, the word came. And then he arose. And he went and did what he was told according to the word of the Lord, in verse 3. Um, Nineveh, if you don't know, Nineveh was this great city. Probably wasn't the capital of the Assyrian nation, um, but certainly a very significant, very important city, certainly in the eyes of God, and probably politically as well in, in, in the region. A very um, interesting city, uh, interesting in size, uh, interesting in its significance. Do you remember uh, from, from the beginning of, of, of Jonah chapter 1, uh, the reason uh, why... Uh, God um, sent the, 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 the prophet was because there was great evil in that city, great distress has come up to God, uh, and God has <clears throat> said, that's it, I'm going to deal with what's going on here. So um, it says in, in verse 4 of our section today, uh, we'd, that's okay, we can go back, we, we, we'll look at that one later, Paula, if that's all right. Um, Jonah 4, <clears throat> uh, sorry, chapter uh, verse 4, uh, Jonah goes one day into the city, and it says here, this is his message, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's the message from God. Probably that wasn't all he said. That was probably the summary. Uh, that was the big idea of his sermon. You know, he's preaching again and again in various uh, uh, city uh, locations. But effectively, he was saying this. Trouble is coming your way, O people of Nineveh. Uh, God is coming to visit you. He's coming to bring his justice and mercy upon you for the way that you've been living. And what happened next is nothing short of remarkable. Um, you can imagine if, if, if one of us tried this in, in Belfast, we'd probably get jeered, uh, we'd probably get stuff thrown at us. In fact, Marion, my wife, she's, a, she's not here, I can speak about her now. She was a, a former a free Presbyterian. Uh, that was her upbringing, and she was outstanding. Um, uh, she was a much younger person in Shaftesbury Square, and she got eggs thrown at her. 
uh, when she was trying to share her testimony. This sort of stuff happens. Uh, even in these days, you, you may even get arrested um, for, for daring to, to speak about Jesus. <clears throat> um, anyway, if we tried that, that's, that's probably what would happen. But Jonah, he probably expected something similar, some sort of frosty uh, reception to his uh, message. So no one is more shocked than him about what happened. It says in verse 5 then, when they heard this message, the people of Nineveh, it says, believed God, they declared a fast, no food or drink, and they dressed themselves in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least throughout the entire city. This huge response to the message of God's justice and the message of God's mercy. And it seemed to be that in response to this message that Jonah was preaching, there was this wave of grief that just went out across the city, this mourning, this sorrow. That's what the sackcloth was for. Um, it was, the, it was the, uh, the dress of a slave, I suppose, the dress of a servant, just menial dress. Uh, they put all these things on here in order to demonstrate their, their grief. They listened to the message, but they believed it, right? They, 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 it seemed to stir them from, from deep within. What happened? Well, the city repented. There was this massive turn towards God. I see the, the word repent is not actually there in the text, but that's what, that's what we're seeing, this turnaround in response to God's word to them, this sudden and obvious change, this reaction. Can you imagine something like that taking place in our city? If people went and heard this message, can you imagine our city just turning on mass? To God. Well, that's what happened here in, in Nineveh. So what is repentance? Repentance is this whole scale turn away from, as we're seeing here, evil ways and turning to God. Right? Repentance is going from running away from God to running towards God. Uh, repentance is going from being focused on myself and myself alone to being focused only on God and what he wants. That's repentance. When they, when they realized, you see, the desperation of their current situation, when they realized they were in need for help, when they, when they understood they could not save themselves, that they were in this desperate predicament, they turned to God. That's repentance. And it, this idea is a, is a really important concept in, in the Christian faith, turning to God. You can't, you can't be a Christian without repentance. You can't know God without turning to him. It's called Repentance. But I think in order to understand this, this is a word that's so frequently used and, and maybe not used correctly. We have to understand what repentance is not. Repentance is not, let's say, regret. It's not regret. Uh, lots of people experience regret. I experience regret. You probably do too. It's, we could understand it as a negative emotion where we wish it wasn't the way it was. That's regret. I wish it didn't happen like that. I wish I didn't do that thing. Maybe it's a past sin. Maybe it's a situation that you're in currently. Um, maybe it's a particular pattern in your life where, where you've been living against God. That can generate regret. Uh, imagine if you're up in front of the judge and you've committed a crime. And, uh, and at that stage, you might feel bad about what you did and, and express regret. And I'm so sorry. I, I, you know, that's regret. And it's often accompanied by a sense of sadness or grief or anger, maybe at yourself, uh, maybe at other people, just an unhappiness about the situation. Maybe you're depressed, maybe you're otherwise troubled. All these things on their own are not 
repentance. They might accompany repentance, but they're not repentance. You might experience all these things at some point in your life, but you still haven't truly repented. That is turning back to God. You haven't had this heart change, this change of direction. See, repentance is this profound and deep alteration in the direction of your heart, the direction of your life. Um, Regret is you're you're still centred on yourself. You're still worried about yourself. Repentance carries a concern about God and what he thinks. Here's here's an illustration, I suppose, from a church context, but maybe you can can apply it to yourself in some ways. Uh, In another church uh, that I was uh, part of uh, many, many years ago, I was, I was involved as a leader in that church. I was involved with a, an individual uh, who had a clear pattern of destructive and, and manipulative behavior in his life and, and, and affecting other people. It's harmful to himself. It's harmful to the wider church. It was just a bit of a, a disaster all, all over. And, and this issue, uh, uh, so this individual in love, um, but with firmness, was, was confronted with this pattern of behavior, with, with the sinful uh, behavior, and as such, there was this, uh, the reaction was this big outpouring of emotion, uh, uh, crying, tears, promises to change, all of these things. And, and later I was discussing with, with another fellow leader who was part of, of helping uh, this guy, and my fellow leader said to me, well, he must have repented because we saw him crying. And unfortunately, uh, this situation turned out to, to not be the case because as time went on, uh, this proved to be a wrong assessment and, and, and soon this individual fell back into the same old patterns, only growing in his stubbornness and his rejection of, of God. So let's not confuse what it looks like with what's actually happening on the inside. Um, I hope that's helpful. Repentance, just to summarise, is, is a change of our hearts based on the knowledge that we have offended God, right? There's an inner change of our heart, that we are lost, that we are powerless, that we are stuck, we're in a mess. And so, like Jonah, when you come to the end of yourself, you realize you've got no confidence in yourself, you turn away from yourself and turn towards God. That's repentance. Regret is short-term, and it produces no power. Repentance is long-term, and it is full of deep and life-changing power, as we will we'll see in a few moments. And that's how you tell the difference. So let me ask you, as we, as we finish this little section here, I wonder, as, you, as you're hearing this description, have you, have you ever truly repented? And I suppose I'm talking to those who are from a church background. But maybe if you're an outside uh, person as well. Have you ever truly repented? Because it's different to feeling bad about something you did. Maybe you've been regretful about your past, but there's been no change in your life. Have you truly repented? So what is it? It's this turnaround away from yourself and to God. Okay? Second thing then, what does it look like? Let's try and get some more detail on, on here. Uh, what does it look like? <clears throat> it's not just outer sorrow for your sin and the situation you might be in. True repentance, it will have outward effects, absolutely. But it begins with this inner and profound change of the direction of your heart, okay? Uh, So in verse 5, for example, they have heard this message, and it says here, pardon me, the people of Nineveh believed God, they called a fast, put on sackcloth, um, from the greatest of them to the least. And even as high up as the king of that city, 
He took off his royal robes. He put on sackcloth. Again, this is the clothing of a slave, the most cheap and lowly form of clothing. And he sat down in the ashes. All of these are show, shows of his grief and his sorrow <clears throat> for sin expressed in his culture. We would express it differently in our own sort of modern Western uh, ways. But that's what they did. He stepped down from his throne. He sat in the ashes. There's grief that his people, his city, his family, himself, he himself has offended God. We've sinned against him. And his heart was splitting in two. And it says in verse 7 that the king issued this command, this edict. I want all of you people to mourn and to cry out to God. He says in, in verse 8, um, later on, he says, let everyone every, turn from their evil ways and the violence that is in their hands. In other words, the king is saying to the people, repent, turn back to God. Turn from your evil ways and the violence that is in your hand. These are two different uh, Hebrew words, by the way. It's quite interesting when you sort of read up a little bit on it. This, the, the, the word that's translated evil ways refers to general immoral behavior, all right? Um, immoral practices. So breaking the Ten Commandments, you know, uh, cheating, stealing, lying, sexual immorality, uh, taking God's name in vain, all these things. Turn away from all that, says the king. Turn away from your evil ways. But the second section then, and the violence that is in your hands, again, the, orig- the Hebrew behind that, uh, suggest this sort of um, violence that is on the streets, you know, this sort of more widespread uh, attitude of the city. So we've got the, the individual sins, I suppose, and actions, and then you know, we as a people, our sins and our actions as well, goes from I and we. And the king is saying, turn from all of that. We must turn from it. You must turn from it. Your personal sin and our corporate sins, individuals and as society, we need to turn back to God. You see, repentance goes in both ways, goes in both directions. It produces this personal holiness and a desire to live for God. And it also produces this sort of social justice and a desire for for justice in the city as well. So for example, if you have truly repented, if you're wondering what it might look like in your life, if you have truly repented, then someone who knows you well might easily say of you, you know what, there's something different about you. There's something different in a good way. You've, you've changed. They may not know what that means or they may not say the word repentance or understand faith or anything like that, but they will see it. It's the fruit. They, they will get it. <clears throat> those who know you, those who live with you, your family, your colleagues, they might say, or they might think, that they notice you've been a little less short-tempered these days. Maybe she's been a little more generous with her money. Maybe they'll say, he's a lot more patient with his staff at work than he used to be. They might say, she is way less stressed than she's usually. He just seems a lot happier. This is what they will see in you. That, that inner heart change, you see, has begun to produce outer evidence of your repentance. It'll affect your desires. It'll affect your drives, your, your aspirations. You'll want to be with God. You will want to live for him. You want to pray and speak to him. You want to hear his voice through reading the Bible. You want to be among other repenting people who can all uh, point one another in the same direction and point ourselves to Jesus. That's what you will want when you turn to God. And that's one of the reasons why we have this system of membership here at Foundation Church. It's not just to have a list 
to tick boxes. It's so that we can know that we're all on the same team and we're all pushing each other, no matter where we are in our, in our journey b- b- before God, we're pushing each other towards him more and more, helping each other live it out more truly and more deeply. These are the things that will happen when you have repented and people will see it, maybe before you see it in yourself. But it doesn't stop there. Evil ways, but also the violence that is in our hands. This idea that is personal, but it's also social. It affects I, but it affects we. Many, many hundreds of years later, uh, when John the Baptist was preparing the way for, for, for Jesus to come, um, he, he, was, he was baptizing people as a baptism of repentance, preparing their hearts, ch- turning their hearts towards God. And it's up here on, on the screen. Um, he says this. People came to him and said, um, uh, what, you know, what must I do? He says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Right? Let it come out of you. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? Right? What does repentance look like? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Give to the poor. Next. Tax collectors boo, also came to him to be baptized and said, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Don't fiddle the taxes. Don't extort people. Don't, don't steal more. Just take what's yours. Take what is legally supposed to be taken and nothing more. Soldiers asked him, and what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations. Be content with your wages. Don't lean on people. Don't use your muscle or your intimidation to force stuff out of people. Just be content with what you are paid. These are all fruits in keeping with repentance that are affecting us as a a society, as a community. See, it's personal holiness and it's social justice. Right? And that's what happens when you go out into the world, when you leave the church and you go out into the world, whether it be your family or, or your social circles or your, or your place of work, <clears throat> living a life of repentance. This is the sort of thing that we'll start to see. The world will slowly, by God's grace and through you, become a better place. Your family will become nicer, better. You can't control other people, I know that. But certainly the fruit of repentance is just remarkable. It is beautiful. It is transformative. All these realms, at work and at home, we get to push out the implications of our repentance. We get to alter the fabric of our city, of our families and so forth. From the greatest of us to the least of us. So what does it look like? This long-lasting, sustained, outward change. Thirdly and finally then, how does it work? How do we actually repent? What's in it? Well, verse 10, uh, it says here, God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways. God relented of the disaster he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God saw and he relented, that is, he backed off. Nineveh was this evil and unjust city. It deserved to be judged. If you were uh, looking in as a tourist, uh, well, you wouldn't go there for a start. Uh, because it's too violent, it's not the sort of place you want to have a weekend in, oh, go for a weekend in Nineveh, get an Airbnb. No, no one would do that. It was a horrible place to live. It was an unjust city. And if you were looking in as an outsider, you were thinking, yes, bring down the fire, Lord. It's a horrible place, full of horrible people. 
And, and God would be completely just to bring his justice and his wrath and his anger upon that place and overthrow it as, as was the, the threat or the, the, um, uh, the promise at the start. They deserved his wrath, his anger, at how sinful they were and how messed up it was and how much oppression there was. But instead, they got mercy. God put away his righteous anger at their sin. And instead, he brought them his great mercy, his kindness. He didn't give them what they deserved, which was fire. He gave them mercy, gave them life. That's what happens in repentance. So how do you do it? You're not a resident of Nineveh. Sackcloth and ashes are not how it might look for you today. How do you do it? How do you know that God has looked down upon you and has shown you his grace and his mercy instead of his anger and wrath at your sin? How do you know? How do you know you've repented enough? What, what do you do? How do you know you've repented deeply enough? How do you know you've grieved long enough, repented enough for God to accept you? Or are you just going to hope for the best? Because like Nineveh, there's a question mark, isn't there, in verse 9? Who knows, they said. God may turn and relent and turn his fierce anger away from us so that we may not perish. Who knows? Is that what we're left saying? We do some religious practices. Um, we, 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 we say some religious things and we hope for the best. Because for the Assyrians, for the, the, the residents of Nineveh, it was a question. There was a massive question mark. But for us, as we sit here today, this morning... There is certainty. And here's the key. You see, the king of Nineveh <clears throat> led his people in humility. All right? he, 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 he heard the message. He took off his royal robes and he sat down in the ashes. He showed humility. But what happened here was in some ways a, a small foreshadowing, a, a pointer, if you like, a sign of a greater king, one called Jesus. Because you see, in the gospel, in the Christian message, much like the king of Nineveh, but in a much greater way, Jesus the king removed his royal robes and he exchanged them for the outfit of a servant. He, he, he rose, as it were, from the throne of heaven, from the heavenly splendor, from, from the praise and wonder and, 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 and the songs of, of millions of angels. He left that and he came down to earth and he sat with us in the ashes. He took on himself the very nature of a servant. That's what the Apostle Paul writes in this amazing letter in Philippians 2. It's come up on the screen. <clears throat> it says this, Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count his equality with God a thing to be grasped. And yet he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the gospel. And so it is because of this gospel, it's not a case of us saying, well, who knows if God will have mercy on us or not? Have we repented enough? 
and just repenting into the darkness. It's because of this, it's because of Jesus, the true king. It's a case of God looking at that and saying to you, it's because of what he did that I will relent from my anger towards you and your sin. It's because the king stepped down and took on the nature of a servant and died in your place for your sins and our sins and the sins of our world, that God is looking at him. So that when you repent, when you turn in heart to him, it's not about the strength of your repentance or how many times you do it or pray a certain prayer, it's because of what Jesus has done. You can, you can, you can repent in confidence, knowing that when you turn to God, he will receive you 100%. Guaranteed, he will receive you. So even your repentance, there's no power in it in all of itself. It's because you're turning to that. It's because of Jesus coming to you that you can receive mercy instead of wrath. You can receive grace instead of a curse. You can receive love from God instead of rejection. That's what happens when you turn to Jesus the King. Turn away from your sin and turn to him. So the answer, as we were seeing last week, is not to go deeper within yourself. Don't go there. You will find nothing. The answer instead is to go to Jesus. There you will find everything. Just as we close out, let me um, maybe just address the religious types among us. Um, if you are such a person, maybe, maybe you're thinking the person next to you is... For the religious, um, I suppose I'm referring to the people who've, who've grown up or gone to church a lot. Some of us need to repent of our repentance. Some of us need to stop searching deep within. Stop looking inwardly all the time. Uh, one famous um, preacher from a few generations ago, Scottish guy, Murray McShane, said, for every one look at yourself, take ten looks at Jesus. You won't find salvation in yourself. Yes, acknowledge your sin. Yes, turn from it. Yes, understand what offends God. But you'll only find your salvation in Jesus. You see, when, when, when the penny drops, when you start to understand this gospel that we're talking about, and that's what really is the heartbeat of our church, then you will realise how freeing it is. It is not a religious restriction about your fun and holding you back from living the life you want. It is freeing from the enslavement to things that were never going to satisfy. It is freeing you. It is releasing you. When you repent, when you turn to God, he gives you the power to live a life for him, pleasing to him, glorifying to Jesus, and he gives you a power to live out the implications of that, to grow the fruit in keeping with repentance. Do you want that? It's yours this morning. It is through faith in Jesus, turning to him. There's the old line of the hymn. Uh, you've probably heard it. Nothing of my own I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Let's pray.